welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at www.rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is Don Todd. Brother Don is a preacher, missionary, musician, singer, and servant for Christ in the Memphis inner city. Uh, Don, best as I can remember, we met back in sometime in the 1990s, maybe late 1990s, when you were preaching for the Memphis inner city mission, and you also led a worship, uh, led worship at one of the revivals that I did uh, pre pre rock solid days at uh, Pickett, Arkansas. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about your life today. So, uh, Brother Don, tell us your story. Well, thank you very much, uh, Brother Tom. And uh, I actually don't remember doing that music for you at Piggott, Arkansas. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not a very memorable guy. <laughs> well, I will say this, Tom. I've always appreciated you and your wife and your ministry and just admire how you have taken off on the road. I did that for 25 years, and I want to tell everybody that's not an easy life. And uh, can I mention one uh, uh, of my favorite people is your was your yeah. uncle Fred Huckleberry grandfather grandfather okay yes well I've been getting that wrong uh, well I he, get I get uncle a lot with that so that's okay he he not only had an unusual name he had an unusual style of evangelism personal evangelism and preaching revivals and uh, I think I, I learned a lot from him but how many people do you know named Huckleberry. Well, I appreciate that, and let me say to our listeners that if you want to hear a little bit of Fred Huckleberry, we have about 30 of his sermons on this podcast series. Just go back and look up for, you can't miss it, Fred Huckleberry. Yeah, <laughs> Well, uh, you know, when you asked me to do this, I, I, I thought, and my wife said, you know, you better make some notes. And the more <laughs> I thought about it in recent days, I knew that there was a lot that uh, I needed just to praise God for. I will say this, uh, Tom, I am an evangelist. You are an evangelist in the very traditional sense of uh, revival meetings, and uh, I did a lot of those. But to me, an evangelist is one who carries out the Great Commission. Yes, sir. And I believe Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 uh, is, I take that personal. I really do. And you could quote it probably in more than one version, but if anybody's listening... Uh, this is so critical, so important, and today especially when evangelism, as you and I understand it, is kind of uh, fading away. It is. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world, the end of the age. I love that, and I do take that personal. And uh, before I talk about some major issues, I'm kind of uh, in a quandary as to how to spend a lot of time on one when I'm eager to get to another topic. My mother was. If we run out of time, we'll do another one. (laughs) Amen. My mother was a missionary. Mama was a missionary. And uh, you know the Todd family of my siblings Mm -hmm. 11, uh, nine boys, and two girls. Mama was a teenage girl in France, in Paris, France, during the time of the Second World, uh, First World War. And Daddy was a soldier, an American soldier, and he was there uh, 
during World War One on the front lines, and this is like 1917, 18, 19, somewhere in there, and uh, he was wounded severely enough that he was hospitalized for a good period of time, during which time he met Mama. Her name was Emily Saint, C-E-N-T, and uh, they, he, he had to stay behind. When all the American troops were shipped back home, he had to stay behind. And uh, that's when they met, and uh, they uh, dated, they married in France. She was just 16 years old. She turned 17 right after they married and uh, came back to the United States in 1920 and had their first child in Quentin, Oklahoma. But it was there that Mama, I believe, was chosen by God to be, to be a missionary. Now, they were raised Catholic. France then and much of it now, as far as religion, was Catholic. And, uh, and I think she was very dedicated to God. When she was 12 years old, her father, she was an only child, her father disappeared. He was a businessman, made, uh, he had a jewelry store. I don't know that he was wealthy, but during the time of the German occupation and trying to take over France, he disappeared. And uh, some believe, I was able to visit that location on a mission trip about five years ago. I actually go to the neighborhood and the apartment she lived in on the fifth floor, top floor, five floors. Out their back window, they could see the Apple Tower. So that was her childhood. And uh, <clears throat> something happened to her. Uh, she had a faith in God. And by the way, when she and my dad came to uh, Oklahoma, Quentin, Oklahoma, he went on a cattle drive, which they had him in 1920, and uh, she was remaining home and attended Quentin Christian Church. While he was gone, she, in a revival meeting, gave her life to Christ, was baptized into Christ, and without getting into too much more of that story, Daddy came home, found out she had been baptized into Christ, and he was not happy. As a matter of fact, he didn't become a Christian until he was 64 years old. And had four sons in the ministry. Now, how many years later was that from the time that... that... Uh, about 40 years. Wow. And uh, he had four sons in the ministry and uh, two son-in-laws coming up. And later another son. When he gave his life to Christ, it was genuine because he was beaten down. He was uh, actually had lost his work in California because of diabetes. But he gave his heart to the Lord. And he gave all of us nicknames, and he gave me the nickname Donkey. And I always thought that was a put-down, you know, until I remember, you know, a donkey is a beast of burden, carried Jesus and all right. that. So he was giving me a compliment. He had to be, amen? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> never again after that did he call me Donkey. And I was preaching at a little Indian church at Divide near Neshoba, a student at Midwest Christian College. And he would always go with me. I had a beat-up old car. He would go with me going driving by the church at Neshoba where I grew up, and he supported me. He was not educated in, in uh, you know, in Bible college, anything like that, but he loved the Lord. He loved going to the Indian church, the Choctaw Indian church, and I just had to throw that in there because who knew? And, and by the way, nine, nine boys, two girls, four, I'm, I'm sorry, five of the boys became ordained ministers and the two sons-in-law, um, <clears throat> Mama had no idea when she was 12 years old that that was going to happen. No. But I believe she was committed and loved the Lord, and even as a Catholic in those days, until she could have make her own choice 
and her own decisions for Christ. If she had known what was ahead, I doubt that she would have married Daddy anyway. <laughs> because it was like from Paris to poverty, we never had a car. She used the old scrub board washing machine, hanging the clothes on the line, butchering hogs, uh, uh, frying the squirrels that we, we uh, shot and killed for food. But Mama was a missionary, and she was so dedicated that she prayed some of our uh, family into the ministry when they were sick or at the point of death. And uh, God, if you'll save his life, or God, if you'll save my life, I'll be a preacher. Mama was the one who was the rock solid, <laughs> there was a term right there, there. <laughs> individual, because Daddy didn't care to go to church at all unless there was some event. And uh, Mama carried the uh, the banner of Christian faith in our family. And uh, you're acquainted with some of them, but Brother Cecil tried to establish revival fires. He just turned 91. Uh, I wanted to put that in there because I believe from birth that myself and my siblings and everybody were created in the image of God for a purpose, which is to bring glory to God. How do you do that? Well, you live in your circumstances, and we were blessed to have a strong church at Neshoba, uh, Harold Dunson and his wife Mary Louise at that time, and we had great teaching. We were, Mama made sure we were there every time the doors were open, whether it was a two-week revival Saturday nights or a vacation Bible school, uh, every time, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And she drilled that in us. We learned the Bible uh, the old-fashioned way. And... Uh, <clears throat> Mama, being that kind of missionary, instilled in us, talking about myself personally, the need for living your faith, and for me to be an evangelist, I had, uh, I'm the last of the 11, so I had several role models in my siblings as preachers, evangelists, and so it's what I wanted to do, and uh, <clears throat> I thank God for that, because every time I go to juvenile court, and uh, even challenge young men incarcerated. Have you ever thought about being a preacher? Well, no, probably not. No, not really. You know, I'm locked up. But I said, uh, you know, I always ask them, are you a Christian? And their hands always go up. And I said, you know, if you say you're a Christian, you belong to God. You're lock, stock, and barrel. And uh, you need to think about this. Some of the best preachers I've ever known used to be in jail as a teenager or as an adult and give their life to God, not the majority by any means, but there are some who do that, believing that God has led them even to prison, even to incarceration, so that God could use them to glorify him. And um, so I don't hesitate to tell the young people about that. But before, before I get too far down that road, I want to talk <laughs> about juvenile court and area ministries in the jails, the homeless, the uh, juveniles and prisons. Um, after I talk about Bangladesh, now that sounds like I'm going way in a different direction, but in the past year and a half, two things have happened, uh, aside from the fact that I can no longer go, still can't get back in person in Shelby County facilities like Juvenile Court. In Memphis. And in Memphis. Yeah, right. Jail East Juveniles and Jail East Women. Uh, because can, of covid because of COVID, still right. in lockdown, even though in the Shelby County, they've been given the green light to go ahead. The uh, the supervisor, the chief, told me about two months ago, I've given everybody the green light, but the local supervisors still have the opportunity to say, we're not ready yet. 
But in the state of Tennessee, like the women's prison at uh, Henning, West Tennessee prison, been going back in person there for a year and a half now and mm. baptizing and doing all these things. Uh, <clears throat> because of COVID, we started doing things through Zoom and uh, messenger video to, pa- to Bangladesh. Uh, I don't want to talk a lot about Pakistan because I haven't been there. They asked me to go about a year and a half ago, and I said, probably not. And uh, would, you, would you do Zoom? And I said, if you can do all the technology and invite me, yes, I will. And they were more than prepared. They're just really up to speed on technology in Pakistan. One of the countries we're told not to go to uh, as far as Christian uh, possibility of persecution. But <clears throat> we started, and in a year and a half, uh, I did two-day leadership conferences. It's early in the morning for me, several hours. Two days for each conference. The first six chapters of the book of Acts, which you know what that's like. Right. And uh, <clears throat> there were three different minister pastors in Pakistan that kept saying, we want to do another city now. All of these were in 20 conferences in different cities, more than 20 conferences, averaging about 100 adults at each one. And they'd invite the area churches to come in. And um, so that was a great blessing only because of covid uh, I'm not. I'm not complimenting COVID. I'm just saying that that happened. Sure. And the, the uh, Lord opened up a lot of doors because of yeah, COVID. Yeah. And they want more. And I had. I would help them financially because they would organize sometimes rent equipment or facilities, uh, pay an interpreter, print. Everybody got a copy of the lessons, all six lessons, wow. several pages each, and they would feed the people, out of town people, and uh, so I would help them. And I said, I'm running out of money. All has God provided, so I put it on pause for now until next year. But what a blessing to have that entrance into Pakistan, uh, bordering Afghanistan and other countries where it's very dangerous to go. But I want to talk about Bangladesh. Uh, a year ago, at the end of October, 1st of November, I got, uh, you know, you get so many people watching on Facebook around the world, and I would report on activities in the Mid-South Memphis area, as well as mission trips like Haiti, and had been the last mission trip, long mission trip before COVID was uh, Zambia. So there was a young man in uh, Bangladesh, uh, turns out 26 years old, his name was Bill Odas, D-A-S, he started sending me uh, messages on Facebook. We need you in Bangladesh. We need you in Bangladesh. Please come to Bangladesh. And I'm thinking, I don't know anybody in Bangladesh. I don't know what I could do for you in Bangladesh. And I'm thinking, he probably just wants whatever I can send them. Because you get so much of that. We do too. Yeah, you get yeah. so much of that. And I ignored him. And I sent something for uh, financially for uh, young people and I knew a minister in our brotherhood that had been uh, doing something through Facebook Messenger video with him. And I got my feet wet, but then I, I just kind of let, left it November, December. And he persisted. He kept saying, we need you in Bangladesh. We need your teaching. In January, I started doing adult videos. And Messenger is not nearly as effective as, uh, as Zoom. Uh, the connection is not as well. Right. But he said, we can hear you fine. I can say, you're just garbled to me. Just, uh, I don't know what you say. We can hear you fine. Just keep talking. 
and he'd have a group of about 50 adults. And one thing led to another so that eventually he said, uh, I think in February, he said, by the way, we're fixing to have, before I mention this one point, he said, we have no organized churches. He said, we have seven groups in different small cities in southwest Bangladesh where we work together, but we have no churches, no church buildings. Could you help us do that? So I started doing some of my lessons on New Testament Christianity and topics like uh, uh, I will build my church, uh, upon this rock I will build my church, and then lessons on baptism, communion, the Bible, the name of Jesus, basic fundamental things. And so in February he says uh, a message, by the way, we're going to have baptisms, and this is where all the seven groups come together, and some of them are several hours away by vehicle. And he want to baptize several hundred. And I'm thinking, well, right, I'll see that when I believe it. <laughs> or I'll believe it when I see it. But anyway, he, uh, he said by April, he said, we, we have baptized 500 and none of them have Bibles. And actually, we had started raising money for Bibles through, uh, through Facebook. Uh, and we, we were, and it's true, they didn't have Bibles. And, I, and he said they cost $10 a piece. He said, our people don't have Bibles, uh, money for Bibles, $10. And so I I checked to see through uh, Voice of the Martyrs, who does a lot of free Bible stuff, but they wouldn't do it for us. Yeah, they said that's not unusual, $10 for a Bible in different countries like that. So we raised money for 500 Bibles, which is like $5,000. And uh, all this is going on. I'm doing a lesson every other week through uh, Messenger Video. And I'm seeing all these people, but I'm not seeing hundreds being baptized. And I said, you know, I'm not seeing, I said, people in the United States are very skeptical. Uh, they don't really believe these kind of numbers. I later found out, after I went to Bangladesh, I wanted to see if all this was true. They are less than 1%, Christianity is less than 1% in Bangladesh. It's mostly Muslim, Islam. And they are threatened, and they are in some ways persecuted, but they're on fire for the Lord. And he said, if we have faces of people and large crowds of people, we're targets. But the day I went, I went in um, the third week of June this year, and I wanted to go, number one, to see, to see if it was for real, and number two, to help organize and open new churches. Well, the thing about the baptism, and I'll mention the churches again in a moment. Uh, I was there for six days active on the ground, and we visited nine locations. The seven locations turned out to be nine. And here I am, this 81-year-old, trying to keep up with the, the billow. He's 26 years old. All his inner circle, they're in their 20s. And by the way, they all have college degrees, and they all are on fire for the Lord. And they're all participating in this evangelism in these seven, nine, uh, more than that now, communities where they're teaching. And he said, we're, we're only going to teach what you tell us to, to me. I mean, how often do you hear that? Yeah. We're only going to teach what you tell us. And he said, what should we call the church? He said, we don't want to be a part of any denomination. And I said, why don't we call it Christ Church Bangladesh? I grew up in Christ Church in Ashoba in the Kamehameha Mountains. Right. So all of this was happening, and when I was there, uh, we visited nine locations and uh, 
traveling one day, and I got worn out about 3 o'clock, and I thought, well, they're going to take me back to my hotel, which was a couple hours away from where the headquarters. And they would say, how you doing? And I'd say, I'm tired, I'm tired. And by 3 o'clock, I wasn't speaking to anybody else. I was so tired. And uh, we still had places to go. And they said, well, uh, are you coming back next year? And I would say, only God knows. But inside, I was thinking, there ain't no way I'm coming back here. I'm too tired. I'm too old. And I can't keep up with you guys. But anyway, that was, after the fact, was such a blessing. But on Monday, we had a day for baptisms. And on Sunday afternoon, by the way, they were threatened and, and Bill the director said, well, we're going to have to cancel baptisms tomorrow. We have plans for hundreds to be baptized. Well, we can't do it. We've been threatened that if we do these baptisms, there will be physical violence. And he said, we can't put our people at risk. And we're traveling in the car to another church. And I said, now, wait a minute. I said, have you prayed about that? Have you talked to God about it yet? I said, I came all this distance and you made all this act, this preparation for all the events and the baptisms. And uh, I said, why don't we pray now and uh, and keep praying? We prayed in the car, and, you know, uh, that would have been, to me, a huge letdown and disappointment. If we said, well, you know, they're threatened, we can't do it. By morning, he told me that he had gotten with the, uh, the they, they owned the, on the pond where the baptisms were being done, and most of the businesses and the schools and the financial places in these communities and so the church or churches pretty much have to be careful what they do and by the next morning he said well I talked to the leaders and uh, they said we can do it uh, for a price and we settled on $500 which is a bribe of course and sure. I, so I got on Western Union and wired the money and we had the baptism and I sat there uh, I sat there by the pond, and, and the pond was in walking distance of the church. And uh, uh, th there's an incline down to the water, and they had built a bamboo ladder. This ladder was probably 30 feet, and I would not have made it down that ladder, let alone back up the ladder, because they were old people, men and women. They were all ages, and there were five preachers, five pastors baptizing. Started out with six. And uh, one was uh, Bill O'Doss, but he had to do other things. And they were rejoicing, celebrating, and I was taking pictures. I had never seen so many people baptized in one day, ever in my life. And it, at the largest crusades we had had, or mega churches, in one day, in one sitting. Uh, and afterwards, we had a, uh, a youth rally. We had lunch and then a youth rally. And the youth rally had about 500, including adults and, 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 and pastors. But uh, I said, by the way, how many did we baptize today? And uh, he said, well, let me ask. Because there were two people at the top of the pond taking names down. And unless they don't know how to count, he said there were over 350 baptized that day. Wow. And, uh, and it was such a celebration. Uh, had people say, you know, maybe there's paying people or giving people things to be baptized or look everything to look for what it, I said, for what purpose? I said, these, these people, everybody's poor and they're making best use of their money and funds. 
what, what would the point be in that if there's nothing to gain by these groups and right. new churches? But they were just so thrilled and, and celebrating their new life in Christ. When we, when I got ready to come back, he, uh, I had brought money to leave, like $4,000 in cash, because I knew there would be a need. And uh, he said, you know, my goal is to have church buildings, even modest church facilities, because none of them have churches, and I was at all these places. Everything was sitting on the ground, the hallways, uh, tents and curtains hung for churches. And uh, he said, well, I've been looking on the Internet, and we can get modest facilities for $1,100. That would, you know, our old tin roofs, the roof and the sides, but the framework was very, uh, uh, in my opinion, very, very good for that. And you could raise the sides, the ends for uh, ventilation. And I said, well, I tell you what, we will commit. And he said, our goal is to have 20 churches by the end of the year. 20 churches, 20 different cities by the end of the year. And we got started notifying people uh, $1,100, and I found out that it cost them about $100 to get the materials and deliver to the location. And they had a group of 12 men who assisted every location, and they had these groups, they had places, groups, Bible groups, wanting to be a part of Christ Church, Bangladesh. And uh, we just, Tom, we just finished sending the money, and they are having, as we speak, the dedication of church number 20, all with buildings. And that is just incredible. And they have baptized about, this year about 1,600. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time off what you're saying, but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, Brother Don, the, the struggle we go through in the U.S. Yeah. And, and all the plans and bringing in the experts, yeah. and I'm, I'm putting my little quotations here, yeah. to tell us how to start a church. Yeah. And what they did is they preached the gospel. Yeah. Gee, whoever would have thought of that? Just yeah. just going out, talking to your neighbors, and sharing the gospel. And fearless. Yes. And they're in a country with 160 million people, half the U.S. population, the size of Michigan. The wow. size of Michigan. And, uh, and it's such a joy to be a part of that. I was tired when I got back, and I don't know if I'm going to have to go back or not. I'm thinking I might have to go back to, because we're doing lessons every week, and but you can't. You know, he and or I can be in all those 20 locations, but he is able, and he, he and his team are able to send the lessons. And a guy named Kerry Decker in California is doing video lessons, and he did a lot for Rafa House and ARM mm-hmm. uh, every on a regular basis doing leadership lessons for their, uh, their leadership groups. And uh, But I mean, you know, only God knows if I'm going to go back. Now, I, I kid about wanting to go back, not wanting to go. You're back. making me tired just telling me all this. And, and can I can I ask you? Yeah. How old are you, brother Don? Eighty-one and a half. Eighty-one and a half. Yeah. And some days I feel it. <laughs> That's why I say I don't want to get ahead of myself. Hey, I'm going to go back. I don't know if I'm going to go back or not. I didn't know I was going to go this time. But uh, there is, uh, you know, establishing. These twenty ch- baby churches, and uh, and then maybe uh, being there for leadership training in person. I don't know, but I do know that God is at work there. And I don't know if 
I, you know, I wanted to spend a lot of time on Bangladesh because it is a something as we speak. And we've had people donate for an entire building, individuals. We've had churches where the church and maybe two families would do that uh, from small churches, right. you and I know. And it's just amazing how people have gotten excited about that. We've had people donate for, we've provided for 1,100 Bibles, that's $11,000, because people want to be a part of that. And, you know, we can't watch over their shoulder to see if everything is being done, but I taught them uh, the two ordinances, communion and baptism, got to be right at the very forefront of everything yes, we do, Christians only. And they said up front, we don't want to be any denomination. Uh, and they're loving it. They have the Spirit of God. They have the the love of God. And they're taking care of each other. The, the needs are so great. And... Uh, Thank God for that. Um, you know, I've made, uh, if I wanted to talk about, yeah. Well, Tom, I get excited about some of the foreign mission fields, but I want to tell you that the last uh, 30 years, 32, 33 years, we established, uh, when I say we, I mean my wife and I, and the Holy Spirit. You know, we did none, none of this by ourselves. Um, I'd be the last person that would ever be expected to get involved in an inner city ministry, uh, as I was told by some of my dear friends back 30-something years ago. Juvenile Corp, in the past, uh, since 2007, that's about uh, 15 years, has been a godsend. <clears throat> and, you know, it's not all that easy to get an inside track no. with the juveniles in Memphis who are in gangs, who are, are going to prison, Maybe they go through juvenile court first, but God put me in the in, in the path of certain individuals that got to be uh, really connected with us and friends with in the inner city of Memphis. Through our we started inner city outreach, inner city church in 1989 and ninety, and uh, <clears throat> we had activities, a church family. We had all kinds of activities for young and old for uh, for a couple of decades which led into uh, juvenile court to be allowed to be one of the community speakers, like uh, a newspaper editor or the sheriff or an educator or somebody like that, to talk to groups of young people who are in detention and in a classroom. And uh, I was so nervous about that, even though we'd had a lot of activity with inner city church. And by the way, the church itself phased out in 2006 because the neighborhood, whole neighborhood changed. They moved all the people out. And what we were doing was kind of, by the way, Bill Griffin, the pre previous president of Mid-South Christian College, was one of our board members. And uh, at the time, we, we continued two years after it looked like we might need to just end that phase of, of the church and outreach and go a different direction but keep doing it. And uh, Bill was one of our valued board members, and uh, we continued for two years after it looked like by some that we should have gone a different direction because all the years that we'd put in establishing these activities in churches and families and, and uh, right near uh, 201 Poplar, a block in front of that, uh, Shelby County Jail, and public housing where there were thousands of people in small uh, areas, 
and it was a harvest time, just a tremendous harvest time. They tore time. all that down, didn't they? Yeah, except Lauderdale Courts, they had to keep because Elvis Presley lived there. <laughs> and they renovated it all, from made it from public housing, like $35 a month for poor people, to five, six, seven hundred dollars of upscale living, fenced in, and so we were boxed out. Right. And uh, <clears throat> what happened is that in the inner city church, we had uh, contact with so many young people, families that we were able to work with. Well, when we didn't have the church anymore, I wanted to stay right downtown myself and uh, got into juvenile court. I was doing Memphis Union Mission and uh, Salvation Army, uh, Shelby County Jail, but juvenile court was one of those locations where you really wanted to be a part. And uh, I had some good friends that I had made during those years with the church and being on location there. Uh, got in, inside contact with to the young people and uh, where I could speak to 20, 30, 35 at one time in a classroom. Well, uh, that was great, but I was so nervous about that because these are the hardcore young people who are being detained. They're in gangs. And so I, I went several times to listen to other speakers. I was allowed to sit in. Right. I mean, you had experts, you had professionals, and here I was, this uh, aging, uh, white-haired, white guy, uh, wanting to do the same thing as they were doing. And so, finally, when I said, I'm ready to do it, I speak for an hour at one time with a group of young people like that. And uh, it was touch and go for a few weeks, but sooner than later, God gave me a connection with these young people that I did not ever want to stop. And I loved it so much. And at first it was boys and girls together, a few girls and a lot of boys. And sometimes there would be altercations between them. And uh, I won't get into that, but there's so many stories. I do remember one time a young man during the, uh, the class of boys, he said, and I, we had moved from down, to, excuse me, Midtown Memphis to uh, Millington. And would drive down, and one of the young men, he raised his hand. I said, yes, what can I do? He said, do you believe that that God leads you down here to talk to us? And I said, I absolutely do. I said, on the way down here, I try to listen to God. What do you want me to say and talk about? Of course, I'm prepared, but let the Holy Spirit lead. And I said, yeah, I believe so. And he said, well, we do too. And I thank God for that. I thank them. And on another day, when I turned 70, as a few years ago, from that time, from now, uh, I, I turned seven. And I said, you know, I just want to say that I just had my 70th birthday, and uh, I am so happy to be a part of being able to come down here and have this fellowship with you and share things with you. And a, a young man raised his hand, and he said, <clears throat> I said, yes, what is it? He said, you know, you don't look a day over 69. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, that kind of rapport, I feel then and still to this day, is a gift from God. Yes. Because I don't, you know, I'm I'm the last type of person to look like them. But even though now the two locations for juveniles is through video, we have that same kind of rapport. And when I was there in person, we'd do Bible studies around a table. That was after we did the classroom uh, set up. 
would do Bible studies around the table, 5, 10, or 12, where they would all get a copy of the lesson, and we'd, uh, they could ask questions. Sometimes some of them would just sit there and not want to participate because they didn't want to talk to me. But I'd just act like everybody was listening nonetheless. And by the time we would get halfway into it, everybody would be participating. And I would always, and still, even on the video today, always ask, how many of you have accepted Christ as, as your Lord? And in most cases, most of them have had a church background. And I said, how many have, I will always ask, even on the video, how many have done that and you've been baptized? Well, you get honest answers. And it's only after we have had a Bible lesson, we've talked about real things, like their issues, their trouble, their their hope or, or lack of hope, anger, uh, you know, uh, things like that, that that they need to deal with. But always end with, are you a Christian? Have you been baptized into Christ? And if not, how many want to be? And in every case, the majority would. Rarely would one say, no, I don't want to be. And we were seeing, <clears throat> I didn't have any control over the baptisms because I'm, I was a volunteer chaplain, but a paid chaplain would decide that. Almost all cases, it's once a month. Praise the Lord for that. And by the way, they asked me at a certain point down at juvenile court, you think you could get us one of those portable, portable baptisters, which ARM provides for all the prisons or a community. American Rehabilitation Ministries yeah. from Joplin. Yeah, could we... Could we? You think you could get us one of those portable baptisters for juvenile court? Uh, I'm thinking, I, I'll see if what I can do. <laughs> and I was laughing within myself. I can't believe this. The county courthouse, Shelby County Juvenile Court, still a courthouse, asking for a baptist, baptistry to baptize. We were baptizing on average uh, 8, 10, to 12 a month, which is, by the way, over 100 a year. Wow. For several years. And it was a celebration. We would have parents. We'd have, uh, we would have uh, supervisors. We'd even have the county sheriff would come and encourage the young people. You're not going to make it with, unless you have Jesus in your life every day. And it's the same current sheriff we have now. Wow. And, and it was like a revival meeting. And uh, there were two elderly ladies that came to teach the young people. They always brought communion to the baptisms. And uh, it was a celebration, uh, and then COVID stopped everything. And that's not good. You know, I, I'm for people being safe and healthy, but shutting all of that down in person yeah. is not a good thing. Yeah. Memphis still has one of the highest crime rates among juveniles and overall, and they're not getting this in-person teaching as there were other volunteer chaplains besides myself and I don't know what they taught but they would participate in the baptisms and uh, so thank God you know the need is so great so juvenile ministry it's still alive and well but with limitations we can't follow up and we need people to pray about that uh, and I mentioned earlier that the uh, the chief supervisor who uh, also participated in the baptisms as an encourager dressed in uniform, uh, he told me a couple of months ago, he said, I've given the go-ahead, so we need to pray that the local juvenile, excuse me, juvenile court and jail east juveniles, and jail east women also, by the way, we were having baptisms in those places on a regular basis. We need to get back in person 
So will people pray about that? You know, God can, the Holy Spirit can do things that we, we don't think can be done because the, the, the authorities and the people, the fear of, continuing fear of viruses, mm-hmm. even including COVID, is the issue. The, still the issue. Sin is the issue, though, isn't it? It is. That's the virus. And, and the devil laughs, you know. The yeah. devil laughs. So we need people to pray about that. And, you know, uh, when we established the church, the Holy Spirit established Memphis Inner City Church and Outreach Ministries in 1991, uh, it included uh, my, my wife Sally and I went every weekend before we had a church downtown Memphis. We made sandwiches. We made coffee or cool drinks in the summer clothing in an old van and we would sponsor uh, people to be able to get in and we'd pay for a voucher to the Union Mission, Salvation Army, Calvary Rescue Mission for overnight, just little things that when we had the church on location, we phased out going on the streets so we could bring them into the church right. and and the people who came to church called it the church where anybody can go. <laughs> And I remember that. Doesn't every church want to be known as a church where anybody can go? Every church wants that. But you have to let people know near where your church is that they genuinely are welcome. And uh, we thank God for that. And the prisons, the juveniles, the poor people. Uh, you know, I grew up poor, and I don't boast about we were poor, but we picked cotton, we cut wood, we drew water, we did, and you probably did too, and a lot of people listening. Uh, but use that to glorify God, not to say, look at me. Uh, because I think the, the work ethic, I think the, uh, uh, the va- uh, you know, uh, values have changed so much, mm-hmm. and young, young people and young families are, are leaving the church or not even getting into the church. But you know, Tom... Uh, every time I do a Bible lesson, when it was in person and now through the videos, there is always, tell us more. You know, they're so eager, and they'll have, I say, anybody in question? Yes, we do. One might say that I'm a Muslim. One might say I'm not a Christian. Uh, you go with it. And I think the Holy Spirit, when you're focusing on the Word of God, that's what happens. And I love that. Uh, Memphis Inner City Church and Outreach Ministries is still alive and well. That's our main focus. Uh, I started going to other countries in uh, 1986. I went to Haiti just one time, and I, I, I decided I was never going to go back to Haiti because it was too hard. Well, <laughs> you know, that is laughable, really. But in early 2000s, we still had our church, inner city church, uh, a Haitian by the name of Jimmy September, came to Mid-South Christian College to finish his college. Haiti Bible College had folded, and he wanted to finish. He came here and started attending, uh, well, he was a college student at Mid-South Christian College, and uh, we invited him down to uh, inner city church to tell about his work, and he was just starting before he left Haiti to come to go to college here, uh, he uh, had started a school, an elementary school, I think K through six, and which eventually led to high school and then many other villages, not only with, uh, with new churches that had a school and an orphanage at each one. So my foreign trips began to be... Uh, 
specifically designated for orphans and leadership conferences, revival meetings, and just making connections. And uh, I made, you know, that was on the side. It would be like one, two, three, once in a while, four trips a year, but usually two or three to foreign countries. And uh, about 30 trips since 2014 uh, in person. Uh, Cambodia, when I went to, to Cambodia, it was to work with Rafa House. Rafa House being uh, uh, Joe Garman and ARM Ministries established, and then his daughter Steph Fried now has Rafa International. It's just going great guns. Cambodia, Thailand, and Haiti, I think there are four locations. Um, but I was able to go five times to Cambodia and and work with the children, the girls who had been rescued from human trafficking. My trips to Cambodia working with Rafa House was just a tremendous blessing. And first time I went, I just had such a great fellowship with these girls now in the safe house. Uh, I told my wife, I said, I don't want to go home because the the fellowship and they were so grateful and loving and uh, that's what it, that's what they did for me and here I was I probably looked like a trafficker but they were so when they know that you care about them and thanks to Joe Garman that that happened went to um, been able to make many I think I made six trips to China talking oh, about goodness. portable baptistries I took six baptistries to China and each time I would go back, they would use them. That's something that we're taking something to China. So yeah. you're getting something from yeah. China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I thank God for that. Now, we have some dear friends in China, but I may never get to go back because of the political circumstances, but they are serving. You know, China, Christianity in China during the 90s and two, early 2000s, <clears throat> the fastest growing country in the world for Christianity fastest yes. we met so many people and we pray for them because of the government and the suppression that they're involved in now uh, I mentioned Haiti about 8 or 10 I made 80, 8 or 10 trips to, to Haiti I was actually there last year and uh, put off going this year because the uh, situation in Haiti is very dangerous right now but Jimmy September and Car Ministries, uh, we connected with them. We've been sponsoring, working, partnering with them now since 2008. Uh, was able to make a trip to Cuba, and uh, in six or seven days, I had the privilege of preaching 18 times, I believe it was. And uh, <clears throat> I made four trips to India, uh, helping with uh, churches that are established, but you know, just going to mountainous regions where in February, January, February, you really, really get cold. But there they are establishing, and some of their leaders came to the U.S. to go. One graduated from Minnesota Bible College. One graduated, or two graduated from Johnson Bible College. And the people I worked with in India uh, made it. Two trips to Moldova. Moldova borders Ukraine, by the way, and they're taking in thousands of refugees in the churches there. I made a trip to uh, <clears throat> Burma, which is now known as Myanmar, and some of these were not connected with Christian Church, Church of Christ, which is our background, 
but invitations came, and I said, yes, I'll come, because it's got to be for everybody, non-denominational. And they would bring people in, like in Myanmar, and Kenya, and Zambia, uh, Moldova, Romania. Uh, and I'd have the same lessons everywhere I would go, same as I would have any, any church here in the U.S. And in some circumstances, we've never heard this before. We've, we've never been taught this before. Uh, places that I took uh, took a baptistry to Myanmar, and I get pictures of them use, using it, for baptizing people. I get pictures from uh, from Kenya. When I was there, we baptized fifty or something, fifty or sixty at one time. They're sending me pictures, and then in Kenya, they said we need a new baptistry. This one's worn out because we loan it out to other villages and churches. And I said, well, I'm probably not going to go back to Kenya <laughs> at my age, so on and so forth. But planting seed, going places, you know, I mentioned the Great Commission earlier. I don't see any boundaries there. And I've gotten a lot of criticism, Tom, for working with churches other than our own movement. Well, I, I do the same thing everywhere I go. Make no apologies. But to me, I've got to have, if God opens the door, I'm going to go. Right, and you have I see to. responses. Mm-hmm. Where, we've never heard this before. Um, we've held... But, We've held a few revivals in denominational churches sure. ourselves, and and uh, th- before I go, they know what I'm going to yeah. preach, yeah. and and never turn down an opportunity to preach sure. the gospel, never. And they'll never be the same afterwards. That's right. And you've been to Oklahoma. I grew up in the Kaimisha Mountains. Of, mm-hmm. uh, My grandfather was ordained. Yeah, <laughs> in the Kaimisha Mountains. That's right. Uh, the church at Neshoba, and that our family walked a couple of miles through the woods. A product of the Kaimisha Mountain Christian Mission. Our, our minister was Harold Dunson. His brother-in-law, uh, um, Lawrence Lehman, ordained me. Harold baptized me, and his brother-in-law ordained me. I went to Midwest Christian College. Went to Ozark Christian College. Went to Johnson Bible College. Um, I wanted to be an evangelist. And uh, that's what was in me. And to me, an evangelist is not comfortable staying in the same spot for decades. Right. <laughs> to me, an evangelist has got to have the go, to get up and go, and want to go. The goes that somebody kids me. You got the goes. <laughs> well, I think that's what God ordained, God wanted me to be. You know, one of the offices, along with teachers and servants, evangelists, as in the book of Ephesians. I am an evangelist. I started out by saying that. I uh, I was in new church work in Virginia, Norton, Virginia, for three years. Uh, I wanted to go into evangelism from there, and so I went to Ohio for a year, and I was, couldn't wait to get out of there to go into <laughs> evangelism. And uh, <clears throat> in some of the summers, I traveled with my brother Cecil, citywide crusades, the, the tent meetings and auditorium meetings. I was the advanced man to go ahead and work with all the churches to organize and to get ready for the crusade, which would be two weeks always. And through that, I met so many churches and ministers that when I did start on my own in 1969, uh, I was as busy as I ever wanted to be. And I actually turned it into youth evangelism because I started losing my voice. And I I narrowed it down to weekends doing youth explosions, youth Mm -hmm. crusades, and uh, that eventually led to be having the uh, foundation of people and support to do something like Memphis Inner City Outreach. Everything you do in life, yeah. God is preparing you for what you're going to yeah. do in life. I believe that. I really yeah. believe that. 
I love to sing, and uh, I'm not going to apologize for not being a great singer. But who is? You know, that's a rarity. That's a very rare thing. But I think the Bible actually says to everybody to sing. Uh, it says in Psalm 100, verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, mm -hmm. but we make it into a competition or a performance. Right. Uh, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. There it is. Everybody is to sing. God's not comparing you to somebody else. We there's a reason for music, and I love to sing. I wrote, uh, I recorded over fifty of my own songs. None of them were hits. <laughs> Who knew, you know? <laughs> but I love what there's I do. They're still good songs. I've heard some of them. Uh, I just got my songs on Spotify. Uh, one song that is a, a single called "Love You Too." Everybody says, "I love you, love you too." Well, <clears throat> women's prison said you need to put that on around the world. Well, now, now, let me ask you, if, if they're going to look on Spotify to find those songs, what would they look for? Don, the single is Don Todd, Love You Too. Okay. And I uh, had people telling me, you need to put more songs on Spotify. I have no results from these yet. It's been too, too recent. So I put seven more songs, and I titled it an album called Oklahoma Sunday Morning. Six of my songs that I wrote through the years, plus Frog Kissing, which I did not write. I'm a cre given credit for writing it, but it was probably my signature song other than Oklahoma Sunday Morning. And from Kissing, I used to do hundreds and hundreds of school concerts during revivals and otherwise. And Frog Kissing was one of the songs. Frog Kissing. Yes. And it's <laughs> on the album. And the album on Spotify, it's on iTunes, YouTube, WhoTunes, everywhere. <laughs> Under Don Todd, Oklahoma Sunday Morning Album. And you can okay. buy them individually or as an album or download it, get it for free. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can do it. But anyway, it's there. When I was in, uh, you'll have to give me sign language for the minutes that are left here. Okay, go ahead. I thank I'll God for that. You know, singing, I came up, I, I credit the Holy Spirit. What is singing? Singing is a passionate expression of heartfelt emotions and convictions. Hallelujah. Mm. Let me say it again. Mm. A passionate expression of heartfelt emotions and convictions. And for the believer, it's hallelujah. Glory to God. But everybody that sings, whether it's religious or not, Christ or not, it is something that is passionate expression, heartfelt emotions, even if it's all bad. So we've got to use that. We yes, need sir. to use that. And... Uh, I'm going to wrap it up, a couple of things. When I lived in Nashville, we sponsored Music City Youth and Family Conference, which ran for 12 years. It was just, we enjoyed it so much. Those kind of things take a lot of work, as you know. It was a three-day thing. We had music, greatest speakers. It was I have great been day. to one of those. Yeah. I forgot about that. Sure. Uh, when I moved to Memphis, we established Memphis Inner City Outreach and partnered with Mid-South Christian College for Servanthood Seminars, Servanthood Seminars. And this was a series of six weekends, Friday night and Saturday, where we had music, we had the greatest speakers that we could bring in at Mid-South Christian College when it was on Elvis Presley. And we had some of the biggest names that you could think of in our churches. 
and uh, it was and right at the end of that we started Memphis Inner City Outreach in 1988 I think the seminars were in 89 and uh, it's also when uh, Theron and Linda Harris established they announced at one of these conferences they're going to establish Sunbelt Youth Ranch Mm -hmm. so we timelined that now to me Tom we are messengers of hope. We're living in perilous times. People are angry. They're frustrated. Mm-hmm. They're losing hope. Churches are folding up. And yet we're messengers of hope. Uh, you know, our, our identity is not, well, what are we going to do? We, our identity is in Christ. And uh, when I go out on, I do concert tours. Uh, uh, this, this current year, I did 25 churches just weekends of one or two a month. And I always tell about our work, but I always say, well, you know, we are it. We are the light of the world. Right. Matthew 5, 16, uh, let your light so shine before others. We're, we're not to carry the light. We are the light. We are the light. That's and right. how are we going to do that? Every time somebody asks me, how am I, I try to remember. It's not hard to remember. I'm blessed. Changes everything instantly. And one of the ladies in the inner city church came to church one day. She was huffing and puffing. It was hot in the summer. I said, how are you? She said, I'm blessed. And I'm thinking, you're blessed and you can hardly breathe. Hmm. To me, we need to say that. I'm blessed. That's our identity in Christ. When you have, uh, when you have that kind of mental preparation, uh, you know, people might be ready to unload on you. Well, you know, let me tell you about my problems. But when you say, I'm blessed, well, I'm blessed too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blessed too. And you're turning on that little flashlight. Uh, my wife once said, uh, somebody said one time that you can see a candle 10, 10 miles away. You believe that? I said, well, only if it's lit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> only if it's lit. So only if our candle is lit are we <clears throat> the light of the world. And people looking. You know, when I did those revivals, every night I would stand up. The first thing I would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. That's where the power is. Not in me, not in anything I can do or not do, but in the gospel of Christ. Praise the Lord. Tom, thank you very much. for. Well, Don, I'm, I'm going to tell you, 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 just, you just got my, my heart and my blood pumping today. Amen. I'm, I, your enthusiasm uh, is encouraging to me. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's catchy. And, and, and I, I appreciate I appreciate you taking time. I appreciate the college giving us a room today yeah. here at Mid-South Christian College to do this recording. And uh, this won't be the last time. We'll try to get together because yeah. you've got yeah. so much more you could share and, and, and just do some time teaching us. If someone wants to get a hold of you for a concert or, uh, uh, or to help support uh, yes. in these ministries, how would they do that? Well, I will tell you that <clears throat> for a concert, I'll give you my cell number. 901-483-4011. And you can call or text that number. 901-483-4011. Or you can write Memphis Inner City Outreach, M-I-C-O, 8370 Brunswick Road. 8370 Brunswick Road, Millington, Tennessee, 38053. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to partner with us, if you just want to pray or give or... I need somebody to go back to Bangladesh. If I go, I want somebody to go with me. And I haven't had any takers yet. Somebody who would be capable of the trip and uh, 
you know, just give me a call or write or call something. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. And uh, I'm sure that anyone listening to this, that this has been an encouragement to you. And if it has, I hope you'll share it with your friends and coworkers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye. And may God, oh, I can, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to end without telling about these books. You've got a couple of books here. Yes, Daily Praise. This is a daily devotional. And I'm going to give that book to you, Tom. Do you well, thank you. It? No, I do not. You can do that. It's a daily uh, Bible reading. All right. And uh, a guide for reading through the Bible in the year. And when I came back from Zambia, I wrote Pure Religion, Ministering to the Least of These, the Widows, Orphans, and so on. And it's a little bit of my life story and experiences, but I want to give you that. And also, my latest <laughs> CD, if you don't mind that it's already been opened, I forgot to bring it unopened. I don't mind that. It's called Heaven, Almost Heaven. Thank you, Almost Brother Don. Heaven. Thank you, Brother Don. And now I'll say, um, <laughs> until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. <laughs>